So we are studying in the book of Mark, and as you can see, we're up to chapter 9, chapter 9, and my constant approach is to obey the Word of God. God has given us instructions on what we should be doing in the church, and one of the real... and, and I love how God sometimes just makes it super basic, really, really basic. Let me just tell you what, what you should do. Like, husbands, love your wives. You know, I'm going to keep it real simple. That's your main deal here. Love her. <laughs> Hold on tight. Figure this out. Work it out. Make it happen. Love your wife. And for pastors who approach the ministry... What, what should we do, oh God? What should we do? And there's some real three-word commands in Holy Scripture, like one of them is, read the Scripture. Another one is, pray. And, and one of the best ones is, preach the Word. Uh, so, you know, that's real simple to me. The command is simple, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience. And, and I preach the Word. And as a result of that, it takes you to places uh, where you might have chosen, well, let's just, let's just skip over that one because it's a little confusing. And uh, yet there's wonderful wealth and beauty, and uh, it's, it's like a, some people say, you know, here are the metaphor of, well, I'm a smorgasbord Christian. You know, it's all laid out there, and I just take whatever I want, and I'm a happy person. Uh, well, that's not the way we should be. We should... Uh, <laughs> Clear your plate. Eat whatever your parents have put on your plate. Uh, eat the broccoli. Eat the chicken. Eat the starch, whatever it is. Eat it all. And when you eat it, you might be able to have something afterwards, something sweet and good. Um, <laughs> you know, that's super effective, right? <laughs> that's how dinner becomes four hours long. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a very healthy thing. We want to have a balanced diet. Paul says, uh, I didn't cease to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So that is our approach. If you're wondering what is your theory on how to preach the word, that is my theory, that's my application. And so we're up to a, a fantastic passage of Scripture, going kind of slowly because there's so much richness in this um, and we're in chapter 9 of Mark, starting in, I want to do 37 again. Pull that in because it fits super well with uh, 37 through 41. Uh, allow me then just to read the scripture. We're going to be reading this a few times probably there's, uh, because, there's, as I said, it's deep and rich and amazing, complex flavors, deep and wonderful uh, as God likes to do things. Verse 37, whoever receives one such child. So let's kind of go back to Zeke wandering around here. Kind of sad he's gone because he was a perfect illustration of this. <laughs> you want to go get him? No, no. <laughs> uh, super sweet, toddling around, can barely walk. And you can imagine Jesus, he's literally holding a child when he does this, when he says this, right? He's got a child in his arms. Whoever receives, and notice it's one such child. In my name, 
receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Jesus said to her, but Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ. And actually, the interesting, the Greek here is a little bit hard to translate, so you get different word wordings of it, because the literally is be, uh, in the name of you belonging to Christ. The word in the name of, it's not in my name uh, there, it's just in the name of you belong to Christ. Uh, so anyway, ESV has just decided, well, let's just make it a little smoother English. Uh, but because my title is in my name, I'm going to put that in there again, okay? Because you belong to Christ, will by no means, and they're very strong here, there's absolutely impossible, you'll never lose his reward. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, teach us, O Lord, and you have set the table, put the dishes on the table, and served us up some mighty good food here. And we ask that you would uh, teach us and that we, we believe you are the sovereign God, uh, sovereign over all, all people, all time, all space. And you have allowed us in your sovereignty to be together today as this congregation. You brought just the right folks. Uh, some people aren't here all the time, but they're here now. You've brought us together, and we believe that you have nutrition for each of us in your holy word. So open your word, O Lord, and I pray that I will not be distracting, but I will be rather invisible, and that you would be highly visible and super glorified, and that we'd be drawn to you in obedience and praise and trust today. And even as we uh, get into this, we ask for your just special blessing uh, today. Uh, we think of our sweet uh, Carissa uh, just recovering, and thank you for this special blessing of Gordon. I mean, um, of uh, not Gordon, but uh, Gabriel. There it is. <laughs> uh, bless them all, O oh Lord, and give uh, Cole special grace as he's a brand new daddy too. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So in my name, I, I, I do see a unity in this text. Uh, obviously, there's a repetition of the idea of in my name. And I, I have a little graphic there to kind of give us the feeling of that. And, you know, To be doing something in the name of Jesus means uh, trusting in his authority, uh, doing it as representing him doing it through his power. Jesus 
commands us to pray in my name. You know, you come to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Sometimes I have this conversation with myself, oh Lord, God, help me. And I say to myself, well, why would he help you? You know, I'm unworthy. And I say, well, I'm coming to God the Father in the righteousness of Jesus. You know, the perfection of who he is that I've received as a gift. So I'm coming in Jesus' name, O Lord God. Now I have an audience uh, before the king of the universe, and I am unworthy, but he is hyper-worthy and welcome uh, there. And so we come in in the name of Jesus. And that's the idea of this phrase, uh, in, in his authority, just like signing a check. Who signed that check? Who signed that contract? Uh, it's, it's representing who they are. Are. Now, let's talk about this first verse. Uh, I think it has a lot of implications. I brought them out just, just a few last week. If, there's two ways to take this verse that I'm talking about receive one such child in my name. I mean, look at the logic of the verse. It's saying you receive one such child, you're actually receiving God, the Father pretty significant idea that we should be open-hearted and, and uh, open-lived toward children. You're, you're doing mighty work. Uh, of course, human beings are the image of God uh, as well. Uh, and, and yet, and, and I thought this certainly does apply to uh, abortion. This past week, uh, we were you know, assaulted with the image of the law, the state house in Albany, New York, literally cheering excitedly that uh, some of the restrictions on late-term abortions have been changed. Uh, and it's, you know, this, if you're pro-life, this is just a horrible scene to see human beings say, yay, 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 let's kill babies. You know, it's horrible horrible. Uh, And it's the exact opposite of receiving them. We're saying no to them, uh, not wanting to receive them in any way. Um, This is a sweet little guy. The verse is slightly off the screen, but you know the verse anyway. Uh, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Do you want to receive Jesus? (laughs) Yes. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I mean, huge. You're, you're receiving God the Creator. Uh, you're doing, if you do, and, and notice it says one such child. We don't have to make an orphanage for 40,000 kids to reach God. Uh, no, just the one that he brought to you. Um, so you can take this very literally, and I think it has implications for Christians thinking about their, their family. You know, how many children should we have? Now, this I, is an extremely sensitive topic, and I don't, I'm not preaching about it. I'm not thinking about any of you at all, okay? But I think, generally speaking, the church has forgotten that children are a blessing from God, and they've just swallowed whole the cultural norm. Well, I guess we could have two kids. We've got three bedrooms, so we're good to go. Uh, And not even thinking about the basic commands from God. 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I, very little kidding aside, let the pagans have small families. Let the unsaved have small families. Let's let the church have big families. Let's, let's have more, the merrier, and receive them, not reject them. Trust God. Uh, something to think about. Something to think about. I, I say this as, a, you know, Charlotte and I had number nine, and we were hoping for number ten. <laughs> but God said, no, nine's enough. And uh, it's, it's been the probably the most important thing I've ever done in my life uh, to have children and love them. By the way, this is more typical of children. <laughs> that's, one, that's nobody I know. It looks a little bit like one of my grandkids, but it's not, it's not one of my grandkids. But the, that's when it's hard to receive them. <laughs> that's why they think, oh, I'm going to only have two, <laughs> because it is hard Stinking work, literally stinking at times. Um, you know, it's, and, the, and you know, how many times? I mean, you're putting good food in front of him, and this is the face he's getting you. He, he will abuse you over and over again. So let's just get back to this idea. Ah, oh, now, now we can obey that. <laughs> Sweet little guy. <laughs> um, so. I'm saying it has lots of implications on an absolute uh, literal level. As I said last week, the church has listened to Jesus over the centuries, and we've been the ones who have loved children, and we have been the ones who have started the orphanages and the outreach. We, as the church, should know this. We are the ones who started education. We started hospitals. We started loving kids. Uh, because Jesus said, don't think of them as small. Think of them as, as God himself. I, I, I could have looked this up, but you could look it up yourself. One famous, famous evangelist. It could have been, I don't know who it was, from a century and a half ago. You know, They had like six people saved at one of his meetings. And, and he said, well, we had, you know, we had four people and two halves saved. Somebody said, oh, what, what do you mean? You had two kids? He said, no. The four were the children. They have a whole life ahead of them. And the halves were the adults that were saved that night. You know, think of them as whole human beings uh, that God wants us to be open to. And also, this can be thought of as a, a metaphor as well. Uh, Jesus talked about his disciples as little children. And in other contexts, he definitely pushes us toward a, a, a metaphorical definition. That is that we should be open and receiving uh, the, the little ones that he brings us, the, the children, the, those who are coming to Christ. And we should work hard to love them and uh, put up with them patiently and challenge them and encourage them to grow, and we should be the children who come as, as well as we come to Christ. So again, just rich, in computer language, there used to be a thing called rich text format. That's the way I look at the Bible. You know, everything's a hyperlink to something amazing. Uh, this is rich. Whoever receives one such child in my name 
receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So what I'm saying here, my first point is, open your heart to receive a child in Jesus' name. Receive a child. Receive God. Anything more important than that? No, not at all. Okay, now this is interesting. Here's the transition. They remember uh, just before um, this, let's see, let's look up to, up in um, verse, let's see, where am I looking uh, at here? Uh, up in, okay, okay. Yeah, here it is. I want to go way back up to verse 14, okay, of chapter 9. Um, uh, let's go way back up to chapter 9, verse 2. I'm not going to read it, but we have Peter, James, and John, the inner three. They go up to the transfiguration, where all of a sudden the reality of who Jesus is shines through. He's shining like uh, brighter than any uh, light you can imagine, like those those obnoxious LED lights that are that have that super bright white. You know, it's like way too bright. Jesus shines way better than that, and the, the guys are knocked off their heads. Peter, James, and John, and and as they're coming back, they find the rest of the disciples uh, in embroiled in an argument. Right, verse fourteen, because something had happened while they were gone. A, a dear soul had brought his son up to them for healing. Jesus, Peter, James, and John were gone. And this little boy was uh, possessed by a, a demon, an unclean spirit. So it's not healing, it's exorcism. They want his, their child exorcised. Cast this demon out. And they can't do it. They can't get it done. Uh, Peter, James, and John. And, and uh, well... So it's a very nice story, wonderful story. I preached about it a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus basically ends up solving the problem and, and casting out the demon. And the closing word there is uh, verse 29. This kind cannot be driven out by anything. Yeah, except, except by prayer. That's right. Uh, you, you, all we had was a prayer. And that's all they needed. And they apparently weren't praying. They weren't doing it in the name of Jesus. They were doing it wrong, the, these disciples minus Peter, James, and John. So it's that, that's kind of interesting. And then Jesus says, be open, open your heart, be receiving. And John starts thinking, wow, huh, I wonder about this. John said to him, verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons. He was successful, this guy. <laughs> Apparently, he was using prayer in the name of Jesus. It says, casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him. We were very closed. You were talking about receiving children, and now we were were closed to this guy who was not one of the inner group, Um, probably one of the other disciples of Jesus, not one of the 12. Um, We tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. So they went out and they saw this guy casting out demons and they 
They tried to stop him because, well, he was not of them. They developed what we often do, an us and them mentality. There's us and there's them. We're the insiders, they're the outsiders. And we're, we have it all together, and those folks are not to be trusted. We don't know about them, we don't understand them, so whatever they're doing is probably wrong. Uh, so we got to stop them. <laughs> you can't do that. Now, this is interesting because one of the things about human nature we have to understand is we are very prone to this sort of thing. In fact, we're prone to sort of a tribalism. We're all prone to looking at the world in an us-and-them capacity. I was raised in a very wonderful church uh, association. It was called the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. <laughs> that just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. And the thing about them, they, they never said this outright. They were fundamentalists. They never said it outright, but it was always in the air and the atmosphere that that we are the only true church. And to be a part of us is to be a part of the only true church. And anybody outside of our church is not to be trusted. They're, they're probably not Christians at all. You can be one block away from another church and you don't trust them. You had no connection to them. You don't talk to them. You don't build bridges. You don't say, hey, should we pray together? Should we have lunch together? No, you only get together with other people who are part of your regular Baptist church uh, setting. And it's, it, this is a tendency that Jesus is against here. He's saying, no, we have to be aware that God works through other people that may not even be in our inner circle. And, and yes, we'll probably have some significant differences with them. But notice, these guys were doing it in the name of Jesus. Uh, so they had something going on correct, uh, correctly. And Jesus isn't just saying, oh, they just cast that out. He's saying, uh, they're doing a good work over there. They're, they're in the truth. They're just not a part of us. Um, so we have to be very careful, and I think that at times we as a small uh, church that we, we believe the Bible, we teach the Bible, we, ha we can have a tendency toward this too. Uh, start to look around and see all the other people that are different and disagreeing with us and start to have sus be suspicious of them and kind of think that, well, um, you know, maybe we're the only true church in Monterey. No way, not the truth at all. There's there's two churches. No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's not true at all. There are there are believers in all over the place. God has His folks uh, all over the place, and we have to be open to that. Um, now, yeah, this is the idea: casting out demons in your name. I think He's trying to say, listen, guys, we have to. We have to open our mind to, to this possibility that they were, you said it, they were casting out demons in your name, in the name of Jesus. So we have to be open-minded enough to think, well, okay, we don't know all about that, but it looks like it's okay. It looks good to us. 
Jesus actually said this. Uh, this is the actual verse, right, we have, um, which is, for the one who is not against us is for us. He's saying these folks aren't actively against us. They're not the opposition. They're not like the scribes and Pharisees who are plotting to kill me. They're not against us, so they're for us. And they're actually using my name. And they're being effective. We may not be comfortable with everything that's going on in their life, but uh, there's a core that we can agree with. Uh, There's a corollary to this verse in Matthew. It kind of runs uh, the other way. Uh, it, it, but it, I think it's really saying the same thing. Let me, let me show you how I think that. This is what he said in Matthew. Uh, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So in Mark, we have this more broad-minded st- statement from Jesus, for the one who is not against us is for us. In Matthew, the corollary seems a little bit more narrow. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I don't think there's a contradiction here, though. I think they complement each other. Uh, you, you decide. This is what I think. In Mark, they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. They're certainly not against Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew, whoever is not with me is against me. These people are clearly not against Jesus. They're casting out demons in his name. And we are told to receive one such child in his name. We're, we're clearly gathering with Jesus. So he says, whoever does not gather with me scatters. Uh, so I believe there's a corollary and a complementary uh, statement between these two. But we'll stick with Mark. That's what we're studying today. And we have to Trust this in Jesus, uh, for the one who is not against us is for us. You know, one really extreme example of this, very interesting in the life of, of Paul the Apostle. Uh, he was in trouble with the authorities. Uh, the Jews had brought him to the Romans, and the charge was that he was teaching false doctrine, and um, he was um, teaching heresy, and, and running down the Jews and this sort of thing. And there, was, there were actually enemies of his that said, listen, if we go out and propagate the gospel and preach the gospel, the authorities will see this um, added activity and they'll say, look, Paul's being way too effective. We do have to come down hard on Paul. They thought, well, we can go out and preach his same gospel and hopefully add trouble to him, and it'll be evidence that he needs to be dealt with severely. He would be dealt with severely later on, of course, when they cut off his head, but that's not a part of this story right now. And so what did Paul say about those people who literally were motivated to try to make trouble for him? He said, you know what? Let them go. They're preaching the gospel. I don't know exactly their motivation, and I have heard that it's bad. But the fact is, they're preaching the gospel. They're, they're not really against us, so they must be for us. It's, it's pretty amazing that Jesus is calling us to be that open-minded. I think the idea is this silly little slide, teamwork. Uh, teamwork. It says... You can't see the fine print, but it says, alone 
we are annoying. Together, we are a plague. <laughs> Teamwork. And if to bring down Daddy, you need all the kids, you know, one on each leg and one around his neck choking him. Um, and we uh, were... We're outnumbered, you know, and and we as the church, we may not, we have some disagreements, like we'll disagree our, over how do you baptize somebody. Uh, we'll disagree about, you know, the significance of this or that. We'll disagree about the day of the week you should worship on. Um, but Jesus says, listen, there's a, there's a core here that we need to stick together. We, he's a friendly you know, he's not going to speak evil of me. So let's go ahead and not stop him. Let's go ahead and be open enough to allow him to be on the team and allow the sovereign God to work that out however that works out. So my first thing was open your heart to receive a child in Jesus' name. And this, I think it's fair to say, open your mind see, to see that God will work through others who may not exactly be fully united with us. Um, as I said last week, it's kind of interesting. I'm in an evangelical minister's association here in Monterey Bay Area, and it's, it's wonderful. And these guys show up, like there's this guy, two of them show up with a black shirt and a white collar, and they're Lutherans, they're, uh, but they're Missouri Synod Lutherans who are actually fundamentalists that we believe probably we we probably agree on 90 percent uh, they believe the bible's inspired the inspired word of god you know so we're not exactly you know on the same page but for heaven's sakes the core is there and they are on the same team and i think they might think we're on the same team with them as well so we shouldn't be like thinking like wow you know you're a lutheran we can't have anything to do with you no no Let's find out who they are. Let's find out, are they doing it in the name of Jesus? Do they believe the gospel as we do? Uh, let's set me open-minded enough and, and not so us and they. All right. Now, there's a third little bit here about receiving. Uh, and that's, this is the little bit on the end. Verse 41. For truly, and again, grammatically, that's interesting, uh, it's the, it's the uh, a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew word, amen. He starts out the sentence by saying, amen, I say to you. In John, you'll see that repeated, amen, amen, uh, but never else outside of John. But here it's a singular, amen, which is, this is affirmed. Why do we say amen at the end of a prayer? It's be, we're saying, may it be. May this truly be, O oh Lord God. It's like a little prayer on the end of a prayer. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. So Jesus says, amen, I say to you. He's getting emphatic again. Jesus loves to be emphatic. He loves to be intense. Amen, I say to you. Whoever, wait a minute, whoever? Shouldn't we have like an approved list of people who can give us cold water? No, 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 no. <laughs> Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, here's the key phrase, because you belong to Messiah. Now, again, let's just pause for a second. We know this book a little bit. 
If you're, if you're sharp, you'll remember that I said the word Messiah, Christ, is seven times in the book. One in the very first verse, kind of an introduction. The second time is when what Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. That great confession, the foundation of our faith. And this is the third time. This is it. Very exciting uh, in a literary, theological sense. Because you belong to Messiah. And it's not the Messiah. It's just you belong to Messiah. I bring you this cup of water. Because you belong to Messiah. And you know what? He owns you. You belong to him. That's some pretty exciting stuff. Um, So I have an absolutely silly slide to to prove that. (laughs) For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ. Uh, I said in the Greek there, it's an interesting little phrase because it's in the name of you belonging to Christ. It's a little hard to translate. Uh, So ESV just decided, well, let's just put it this way. That's fine. Because you belong to Christ, and here he's emphatic again, Will there's absolutely no way he will lose his reward. It's a cool, cool thing. It's, it's still on the theme of being open, you know, and, and the direct command is we should be open to little acts of kindness that people bring our way. A cup of water? I don't need a cup of water. I got a gallon of water at home. No, you take that cup of water and you say, thank you. You know what? The Lord knows you need it. And the Lord knows that that person needs to give it to you. We shouldn't be so closed, so self-sufficient that we aren't open uh, to what God has for us. I, I like this. A little help goes a long way. This is a small, it's in a small circle there, in small font. A small act of support that we should be open for. Um, and we, it, it should make a difference. And I just love this phrase. Obviously, I love it. I hope I've emphasized it enough. Oh, my goodness. We still have to work out formatting here. Sorry. The full thing said, <laughs> because you belong to Messiah. Uh, if you like to shop Craigslist, for example, for used vehicles, it's kind of one of my hobbies. Um, frequently they'll say, pink slip in hand. Pink slip in hand. It's a California phrase because the titles of California vehicles always used to be completely pink. Now they've gone crazy and put other colors in there. It's a bad trend, I tell you. (laughs) But that's what it is. It's a pink slip. It's a title, certificate of title. And I've got a file at home with all our little certificates of title for all our worthless vehicles. But I'm proud of them. I own them. They're mine. <laughs> you know, if if you have a big loan on it, uh, the bank you don't you don't get the certificate of title uh, because they they actually own it and you're paying them, right? Nothing wrong with that. But it's nice to have the title in hand, or or even better, I haven't seen one of these yet. But a, a title to a piece of property, you know, forget about it. <laughs> that would be nice. But that's this language here. You, you're, you're owned by the Messiah. Hallelujah. That's salvation. He owns us. He's taken us in. He, he paid the price for heaven's sakes. Did he not? 
What was the price? His own blood he shed for us to, to own you. You are not your own. The Bible says this very clearly. Quit thinking that you belong to you. You don't. You belong to the Messiah. And if the Messiah decides to send along somebody with a cup of water, you take that and, and you bless him and you, you receive it. So this is kind of what I'm saying then is open your hand to receive help from surprising sources. And I also want to kind of put a little corollary on that, and that is, and give too, you know. We should be giving too cups of cold water to those who belong to Messiah. Uh, they may not be in our inner group. They may wear different clothing than us. They may worship with different beats and different styles than we do. But uh, if we share Christ, we should support them. Uh, Igor and I uh, just had an awesome privilege going to Bank of America and uh, wiring $3,400 from our Christmas giving to uh, Pastor Lazarus in India. So thank you all very much for your generosity. You know, may, may it continue and increase. But it was so cool to do that. We, if, you know, it's, not, it's, it's a good bit of money. Could he have used $34,000? You know, probably. <laughs> but uh, $3,400 is a lot uh, for uh, a person in his setting. They're building a branch church. He has one church, and he, he preaches in three churches every, every Sunday. And th this is the second biggest one, or even the biggest at times. But anyway, all that to say, it was kind of fun, wasn't it, Igor? I felt good about that. He got to wire it uh, to to our brother Lazarus. And so we should be giving as well. So this is my sermon in, in essence. Jesus says, in my name, open your heart. What little child has he brought to you? Is it literal or is it, is it metaphorical? But open your heart to that child. Open your mind. Don't, let's not think that we're the only ones. God is working. He's God. You know what? It's amazing he works through us. <laughs> right? <laughs> we don't have it all sorted out by any means. So open your heart, open your mind, and open your hand. Father, give us strength to obey your word, O oh Lord, through Jesus and in the name of Jesus. We pray this. Amen.